Good morning. Pastor Craig just whispered in my ear that I have an hour and a half. Uh, I invite you to turn, please, to Mark chapter 1. And as you turn there, let me just say what a joy and a privilege it is to be with you this morning. I, I bring you greetings from Christ Church Presbyterian. We're just across the river. Uh, and uh, your brothers and sisters there, let me tell you, uh, pray for you. And we are so thankful for you. Uh, we have the privilege of getting to interact with your leadership in the presbytery. And we are thankful for them. And I hope that you are too, because they are good men. Uh, and this is a wonderful congregation. So if you are here, you are blessed. Uh, and I hope that you know that uh, because you have faithful, faithful men who love the Lord and who love the gospel. Uh, well, um, if I could uh, ask you please to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Mark chapter 1 and verses 40 through the end of the chapter will be our text, verses 40 through 45. Please do give attention to the reading of God's holy word. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we come again to your word this morning, we ask of you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illumine our eyes and uh, you would illumine our hearts and you would unstop our ears that we might receive it with gladness and thankfulness and most of all with faith, that you would till our hearts and you would plant your word deeply within it and that you would grow a harvest of righteousness and thankfulness and joy. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would bless this time of preaching it, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And please be seated. I'm, I'm sad my family can't be here today. We, this was uh, scheduled uh, after we already had plans for them to be away uh, visiting my wife's side of the family. We have two small children. I'm sorry, I'm sorry that she and they are not able to be here among, uh, with us as well, and I'm sorry you don't get to meet them, but if you did, you would see that we had two small children. And a few weeks ago, we uh, took a vacation, and um, it was uh, not a good vacation. Uh, we, we came down with what we think is the norovirus. And if you're familiar with the norovirus, it's a very nasty, highly contagious, very unpleasant sort of stomach virus, and it sort of made its way through the family. And in the sort of the height of this, we had already come back, and people from the church were hearing about what was happening, and they took great compassion and pity on us. And so they started bringing us some meals. But you know what? They didn't want to come inside. <laughs> Couldn't figure it out at the time. Um, I think I have a little bit better understanding now. Uh, they said, we're just going to drop it off of the door and that sort of thing. And, and then once I started getting better, I was ready to go back to the office. And they said, no, no, don't, don't bother. You can work from home. Uh, we were going to have a session meeting. And they said, you know what? You can phone in to the session meeting. Um, because I just read this article. One of, our, uh, one of our men had read an article that said, you might still be contagious for up to three weeks. So they said, we don't, we don't want to bother. Well, it was a very mild very 
very, very tiny, I would say, taste of what it's like to be ostracized from society because of sickness. And it was the smallest of pictures, and when I say smallest, I mean smallest, of pictures of what someone in the first century world in, in the Jewish culture would have faced if they'd had leprosy. And this morning in our text, we certainly get a bit of a picture, and we will try to go behind the scenes a little bit and understand that picture. We get a little bit of a picture of the, the awfulness of having leprosy. But we get a much clearer picture of something even beyond that. And we get a picture of the greatness of the gospel and of the compassion of Jesus. And Mark sets this story before us. This is Mark chapter 1. He's just begun his gospel narrative, and not a whole lot has happened, but he's introducing this character Jesus to us. And Mark is a wonderful gospel to listen to on uh, audio sometime. If you've ever uh, had the opportunity to do that, you'll know that, that part of what happens, if you can pretend that you've never heard the story before, is that the way that Mark tells the story through the gospel is you're wondering, who is this Jesus? It's almost like a mystery that, that everybody who's coming uh, to meet Jesus, they're, they're just being astounded at, at what he is doing and how he is doing it. And so the first chapter is no different and, and sort of catapults Jesus onto the scene. It's a very quick entrance. And so here in the first chapter, we see Jesus doing uh, wonderful things. Just a few verses before our text, he's doing miracles. He's healing many people. But Mark doesn't highlight those. We don't know who all he was healing and what all he was doing exactly, but we know he was doing that. But then he gets to our text, and he slows way down, and he highlights this miracle, this healing. And he's doing that, I believe, because he's wanting to magnify before us and want us to, wanting us to see so clearly that Jesus here is displaying the compassion of God, the infinite grace and mercy of God. It's, a, it's, it's an actual historical event, but it's, it's almost intended to picture something that goes beyond the event itself. And that's what we want to unpack this morning, that, that here we see the infinite grace of God in Jesus. And so as we do that this morning, I just have two points. I suppose I'm a bad Presbyterian without three points, but two points this morning. And first of all, I just want to unpack and understand um, the cultural context of leprosy. What, if, if we were a Jew in the first century, uh, or we were, and we were watching this, or if we saw the, the YouTube clip of somebody's phone recording this, how would we have felt? What would we have thought at this interaction and so first, the cultural context, but then also, why does this show us the great compassion of Christ and the grace of God? So the cultural context and the compassion of Christ, and that's where we'll go from here. So first of all, look at verse 40 again, and just how Mark starts off the text. He says, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, what we don't understand right away uh, from our cultural context is that right away this is shocking. If you were watching this unfold or you were reading about it in the newspaper and you understood what had happened here, that a leper came to Jesus, entered into his presence, you would be scandalized. Why is that? Why would this be shocking? Well, because if you're a leper, you cannot do this. You cannot enter into the presence of other people and come right up next to them and be in close proximity to them. 
Well, why not? Well, let's understand leprosy for a moment. The, the term that Mark is using here that gets translated leper is a, sort of a catch-all term. It's a basket that other, uh, that other things besides what we know of today as leprosy uh, that would have been included in that. Um, certainly, the sort of things that are happening in developing countries where uh, medical attention is, is not uh, what we would wish it would be, the sort of leprosy that is still exists today, that would have been part of it. And I suspect that's actually what this man had, the, the form of leprosy where you become disfigured and your body is actually decaying. It's a very sort of grotesque uh, sort of thing. That's one of the things that could be meant by leper, but there are also a, a several others. Uh, and we see those uh, given, uh, sort of enumerated in the Old Testament, places like Leviticus 13. Uh, speak to this. We'll read a section from there in a moment. But no matter which kind of leprosy you had on the spectrum, if you were diagnosed as a leper, your life was over. The type of life that you had before, the, the relationships, the, the job, the, uh, the movement within society, the social circles, um, you could no longer have a normal life. One commentator uh, mentions that leprosy wasn't just a diagnosis. It's not just a disease, but it was a sentence. It was a sentence on your life. And we get that in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, we read, uh, this, is, this is explaining to the Jews how uh, leprosy and those who had it needed to be dealt with. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. What Leviticus is, is saying is that you have to be ostracized. You have to be. There's no sort of taking chances here. Um, and certainly, while there's a medical aspect of that, because these diseases that were in this category were highly contagious, much more so probably, or they would have thought about it more so than the norovirus perhaps, but you had to, you, you had to be forcibly moved outside the camp. You had to make your appearance look grotesque. You had to tear your clothes. You had to grow your hair long. And when people were around you, you had to yell out to them, I am unclean. Don't come near me. Don't touch me. And so while there is, as I mentioned, uh, there's a physical element to this, a medical element, there's also a spiritual element that the Lord was using leprosy to picture something, to picture ritual uncleanness, to show the sort of destructive nature of a disease and how it, how it takes one outside of community in this case. And if you had leprosy, not only were you unclean in, in regard to interacting with others, but being unclean, ceremonially unclean, according to the law of God, meant you could no longer participate in the holy. You could not touch holy things. You could not be near holy people. You were defiled. The Jews considered that lepers were the living dead. You might as well be dead. And there was very little hope. They considered that to, to be healed of leprosy, for someone to, to be healed of leprosy was on the same level as being raised from the dead. If you could heal someone from leprosy, you could raise someone from the dead. And so this man who comes to Jesus, he does something audacious. 
does something he wasn't supposed to do. He runs and he enters in and he falls before him in the midst of clean people. He's not standing outside crying out unclean. He's running up and he's begging for mercy. And I, I have a feeling just from the way that Mark highlights this text, we don't know for sure, but I, my, my sense is that this man probably was one uh, of the lepers who had a serious condition. As one of my professors uh, in seminary said, this sort of thing, you, you might have, and I apologize for this, but you might have smelled him before you saw him. He might have had oozing bandages or open wounds. He might have been missing parts of his body. So even if you were allowed to be around someone like this, you wouldn't want to be. It was a walking, living picture of utter defilement. Now, this man approaches Jesus, and as he falls before him, perhaps everyone is wondering, well, what is Jesus going to do? Here he is. He's, he has great knowledge of the law. He knows this man is not supposed to be doing this. How is he going to react? What is he, how is he going to treat him? Well, that brings us, secondly, to Jesus' response, which shows us the great compassion of the Lord Jesus. So notice again verse 41. Moved with pity. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Now just as a side note before we move on, if you're here and you're using the NIV your version says something a little bit different. I don't want to get into the weeds with this. Um, it has to do with just a translation issue in the Greek text. Um, I'm a nerd, so I'd be happy to talk to you about it afterwards. Um, but uh, there, there are clear reasons for, for what's going on with the NIV, and they may have a, a good point that they could teach us. But uh, the ESV, and I think all the others that I checked, uh, translate it this way. And it's, it's highlighting the pity of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, moved with compassion, Moved with pity, he reached out his hand and he touches him. Now, from all we've just said a moment ago, we should begin seeing why this is shocking. That Jesus would see this defiled man in front of him and not only would not recoil in horror, but instead would move towards him and would touch him. Now, why would he do that? Why would Jesus essentially willingly, knowingly reach out and defile himself, in a sense, to touch this man? Did he have to, to heal him? Well, absolutely not. John Calvin points out that, that Jesus, in, in many other instances, simply speaks the word and someone becomes clean. He doesn't even have to see them. You remember some of the miracles that happen that, that people come to Jesus and, and say, you know, please heal so-and-so. And Jesus says, essentially, okay, you're, you're, I, they're healed. And he wasn't even in the same city with them. So certainly Jesus did not have to touch this man. So why would he do it? I believe that John Calvin is right that it, quote, the stretching out of his hand was therefore an expression and token of infinite grace and goodness. A token of infinite grace and goodness. I think Jesus is making a very clear point. He is ceremonially taking on this man's uncleanness so that he might, he the man, might be clean, cleansed. 
he is identifying, in a sense, with the defilement of this poor man so that this poor man might be made whole again. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to heal this man this way, but he did. And I believe that's exactly what Mark wants us to see. Look how compassionate your Savior is. Look how compassionate this Jesus is. And look what he came to do. Look what Jesus came to do. Again, this is the beginning of the gospel. And so as we read the story, if we were hearing the story told, this could be in our minds the rest of the time. Look what he has done. It's a picture of Jesus' entire earthly ministry. The incarnation, it's it's the fancy theological word we use for Jesus leaving heaven and and coming and being incarnate as a man, as a, a fully human yet fully God, but fully human man. The incarnation was Jesus, as we read about in, uh, in places like Philippians chapter 2, Jesus becoming a servant, leaving the glories of heaven, giving up the glories of heaven and communion with his Father in that way and coming to earth to live amongst lepers. But not just physical lepers, spiritual lepers. Because the, the Bible is using leprosy here as a picture, isn't it? A picture of something that goes far beyond the physical. Something that goes far beyond something that that people dealt with in their outward body. Leprosy is picturing the, the stinking, oozing decay and nastiness of our sin. And Jesus comes to be in the middle of that. So Jesus is showing here that in this powerful scene, he's showing there's, there's a great amount of hope and an encouragement for people who are dealing with that spiritual leprosy. It, it, Jesus can feel your, uh, heal your physical leprosy, and you can still die and, and, and be condemned and go to hell. But as we'll speak more about in a moment, that was not his main purpose, was to heal physical leprosy and to, to, quench, or to, to quench physical hunger. It was that spiritual leprosy. There's a lot of hope here that this text holds up for, for us here this morning. And it speaks both to unbelievers, people who if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, um, and believers, those uh, who, who are Christians, who do believe the gospel. And if you're an unbeliever, I would like to speak to you first this morning. And I don't know most of you. I don't know your life. I don't know your backgrounds. I don't know what you do and don't believe. But if you're here and, and you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus, this text has something very powerful to say to you. Because there's a lie that floats around out there, a lie that I believe Satan loves very much. And that is that, that really, you're not going to be accepted if you come to Christ. That, the, that God in His holiness and in His righteousness and in His purity is, has, has drawn some lines that you have crossed and you, there is no return. My friends, that is a lie. There are some of you who may have things in your life that, that you have never told anyone deep, dark things that that bring you deep shame. And what Jesus is showing here is that no matter what depth your spiritual leprosy has, there is hope for you. That he is not unwilling to cleanse you. No, notice the, the tension in the text. The leper knew that Jesus could heal him. That he, he, he comes and he says, this is in verse 41, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will. He, 
He's not questioning Jesus' ability. He's questioning, questioning his willingness. And so Jesus shows that not only is he willing to cleanse him, he is willing to cleanse him in the midst of great compassion for him. And I believe that's what Mark is holding up for us. He, he's, he's showing us that Jesus is ever so willing to cleanse the, uh, the, the dirty. One commentator uh, points out that from this text, the worst of spiritual lepers may yet be cleansed. Men are not lost because they are too bad to be saved, but because they will not come to Christ that he may save them. My friend, you are not too bad to be saved. You are not too dirty to be cleansed. Your sin has not decayed you too far to be made whole again. That is what Jesus is showing us here. It doesn't matter. Maybe in your past you have great sexual sin. Maybe you have abortion in your past. Maybe you have hurt others. Maybe you have great issues with addictions. Maybe you have deep, dark secrets that, that no one else knows. You are not too dirty that you cannot be cleansed. You're not too decayed that you cannot be made whole. Please see that this morning. Now, with that, we do need to come to Jesus. As was sung this morning beautifully about the blood of Jesus, that is our hope, and we must receive that blood for cleansing, mustn't we? It is not the willingness of Jesus that, that would keep us from being cleansed. It is our not coming for cleansing. And so, this text is crying out to you, come to Jesus to be cleansed. Don't let anything keep you from it. Fall on your knees before him as this man has done and realize that he is your only hope because, brothers and sisters, our spiritual leprosy, my friend, your spiritual leprosy is far greater than anything else could cleanse beside the blood of Jesus. Come to him. Do not think that, that you can just make up for your sin by living a good life or, or giving to charity or being a really, really good person the rest of your, your life. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot cleanse ourselves. We need Jesus. You need to repent of your sins. You need to fall on your knees before him and cry out for mercy, and he will give it to you. So brothers and sisters, my friends, take heart at that. Now, if you are a believer, this text is for you as well. There's much comfort here, and uh, there's, there's much exhortation here. First of all, we are reminded of what we have been cleansed from. How dare we sit back and look at other spiritual lepers and say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that. I'm so glad that I don't have those problems. I'm so glad that those things don't define my life. How dare we do that? Because if we are honest with ourselves and if we are uh, willing to come and submit ourselves before God's word, we see that we are all in a terrible place. And if we have been cleansed, at all, we have been cleansed to the infinite degree. And so it reminds us of what we've been cleansed from, and therefore it encourages us not to want that leprosy, that spiritual leprosy. How, how bizarre would it be if this man, after he was healed, decided to go back and live in the leper colony still? And so how bizarre is it for us when we are cleansed from our sins and our ways of life, the darkness in which we once uh, walked, and yet we go running back into it without regard for 
the exhortations of Scripture and, and, and thinking that somehow it would be good for us. So, brothers and sisters, let us be reminded of, of the nastiness of sin. And, and, and so when it is uh, put before us as temptation, let us remember that really it is, it is a type of leprosy and it will decay if we give it a place in our life again. And so let us hate our sin and let us flee from it, always struggling, of course, never perfect, of course, but not loving it, not desiring it. So that is one thing. But secondly, notice Notice the cleansing that happens here at the touch of Jesus. Verse 42, after he says in verse 41, I will be clean. And notice Mark says, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Immediately. This is a connected thought to what I've been saying. But if you're a Christian, realize that your guilt no longer is on you. When the touch of Jesus comes to you in the gospel, you are made clean in the eyes of God. And yes, you may struggle with your sin, but the guilt of it has fled away. You've been made whole. You, you before the Lord, are this clean person. And that can be difficult to believe when there are consequences for our sin. We should not equate consequences, even if sometimes they are lifelong, uh, certainly some Christians, many Christians will have consequences of past sin that, that sort of stick with them in the rest of their life and sometimes make life difficult. But consequences and cleansing are not the same thing. So that if you have grabbed a hold of Christ by His grace in the gospel, you have been cleansed. Your past does not define you. In fact, your present does not define you. Christ defines you, and His touch has come upon you. It's the power of the cross that we sung about just a few minutes ago. And it's, as we will sing after, uh, after the word, it's the fact that, that we have no guilt in life and no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in us, that your past, your sins are not what define you before God. Jesus defines you before God. He is the one to whom you are united and you are loved. And again, this gives us this great encouragement to, to not love our sin and to not run headlong into it. But when we trip and we fall, it makes us remember that we are not condemned. God loves us. And you have been cleansed in the Lord Jesus. It is the touch of Christ that makes us clean. And just like this man's leprosy fled from him, so your guilt has fled off of your shoulders if you are in Christ. We never use that as an excuse for sin. Paul makes that very clear. He says, trumpeting the grace of the gospel, he says, does this mean that we should just sin all the more that grace may abound? He says, by no means. That would be terrible. But it does mean that we cling to the grace of God more than we cling to anything else. So we see great encouragement for us, and we see Jesus here in this text giving a, a great indication for why he came, and that why he came wasn't primarily for the physical needs of people. We see this with the second half of the text that we will 
uh, we'll spend less time on than the first half, but uh, notice how once this man is cleansed, notice what Jesus tells him to do and how he treats him. He, verse 43, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, this has always been a bit of a conundrum to me, that after Jesus, after some miracles like this one and uh, exercising demons in other places, he, he will command people to silence. Like, don't tell anybody that I just did the greatest thing they have ever heard of. You know, don't tell anybody that I have just performed a miracle that you're still trying to believe yourself. And by the way, don't tell anybody that the worst thing that you could have imagined for your life has just been taken away from you. Be silent, go to the priests, get, acknowledge that you've been healed, and then live the rest of your life. Why does he do that? Jesus, why, why don't you want this man to get on NBC News and start telling people what has happened? Well, it's because Jesus didn't want to be known primarily as just a miracle worker. Because if people start thinking of him as, ah, this is the guy who can fill up my fridge at the flick of his fingers, this is the guy who can take away my lifelong disease, who can make me walk again, heal my blindness, then that is the reason that they would come to him. They come so that they can have a better life right now. And certainly Jesus shows great compassion on people, and he, he does heal them, and he does feed them. He does care for them physically in this life right now, of course, and it's a, a wonderful reminder to us about how we are to love our neighbors and have compassion on them and, and those sorts of things. But Jesus' primary mission was not to take care of temporary problems. Notice he says earlier in the chapter, right before our text, he's been doing all this healing, and uh, his his disciples come to him. This is in chapter 1, verse uh, 37, uh, 35. He goes out early in the morning. He goes to pray. Um, and then verse 36, Simon comes and, and is looking for him. And verse 37, they say, everyone is looking for you. They say, Jesus, we have a great thing going on here. I mean, you know, the, the news cameras are coming. We've got, you know, this, this is going to be a great day. Let's keep it up. And why are, you, why are you out here by yourself? And Jesus tells them, verse 38, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Jesus came to preach the gospel. Jesus came to preach about himself, about reconciliation to God. And he, he commands this man to go straight to the priests and to fulfill the ceremonial law and, and to uh, show that he has been cleansed and to go through the correct procedures and tells him not to talk to anyone because he knows that if he does, that what is going to happen is what happens when this man disobeys him. The man goes out and he essentially gets a loudspeaker and just starts telling everybody. And then what happens? Well, then, then Jesus can't do what he came to do. It says that, that the crowds were coming to him so much after this that because this man in verse 45 goes out to talk freely about it, the, the word that Mark uses there is actually something akin to preaching, like he's just going out and just proclaiming it, um, that Jesus no longer, uh, could no longer openly enter a town but was outside in desolate places. 
Jesus did not want to be known as just the man who, who cleanses leprosy. That was not his main point. It was a wonderful thing, but that was, that was not the ultimate because it was spiritual leprosy that Jesus came to cleanse. He, he came not to just touch physical lepers. He came to touch a cross, to have his arms spread out and nailed to a cross so that we might be healed from something much greater than our problems right here and now. Um, Joel Osteen has it very, very wrong when he says that, you know, the purpose of the gospel is to have our best life now. No way. The scriptures are full of, of the, the teaching that, that this life often is suffering and this life is, is often very difficult, but there is hope because this life is not all there is and Jesus came to give you life and give you life abundantly and give you life eternal to give you peace with God, to give you cleansing from spiritual leprosy. That's exactly what he did. That is exactly what he was showing us that he was going to do. He reaches out, he touches the unclean to make him clean and ceremonially takes on that uncleanness to himself and then bears the weight of it on the cross. That is your Savior. That is the compassion of your Lord. So may it be, brothers and sisters, may it be that, that this is the heartbeat of our lives. May it be that, that we see the compassion and love of Jesus and we want to run to it and cling to it and not run away from it. And may it be that we want to share it with others. We want to tell them about this Savior who will not turn them away when they fall upon their knees and come to him. And may it be that we have a big picture of what Jesus came to do. As we love our neighbors in this life and as we help them with their problems in this life, let it be that we point them to that which is greater than that help though. That we love them by sharing with them the healer of something much greater than, than our physical problems. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your word which so clearly, so wonderfully and powerfully pictures the compassion that you have had on us. You, a holy God, a just God, a pure God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all equally glorious, equally pure, equally holy, and yet you, oh, our Savior, coming to this earth to live in the midst of uncleanness, out of love for us, out of love for your people. May that be a truth which has our hearts swell in praise to you. And may it be the great motivation of our lives to pursue you and to pursue holiness and to share that love with those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.